The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back for another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a podcast about film or movies or whatever. I'm your host, Lee Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Still a little uh, hungover from the uh, festivities, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're filming on, well, for me, it's already the second day in the new year. Uh, for Dan, it's still the first day of the new year, 2016. For one, for one more hour. This is going to be a list show. It's going to be our best things we watched in 2015, so... Not necessarily a best of list for movies that were released in the calendar year of 2015, although definitely films from that year can be included. It's the best things we watched for the first time in 2015, no matter what the year is. I think that just fits better for both Dan and I's watching habits and the fact that we're not paid movie critics who just spend every day watching fucking movies. So, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, it makes sense to kind of like, if you, like if you sat down and watched 300 films that were released this year, it makes sense to kind of do a, a 10 best list or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're just like a person, I mean, it's, it's, I just didn't see that many movies in theaters this year. I mean, that's kind of the reality. I think I, I only have one film from this year on my list because I saw more than that, but I didn't see that many films in theaters this year, probably just because of some, uh, some personal, you know, life reasons, financial reasons, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I don't know. I think it's more interesting to kind of do it this way. It's, it's, it's our movie year rather than like the movie year. So, yeah. All right. So I think the first thing we're going to jump into, we have no, uh, Listener comments this week, so that's fine. Uh, I was actually fully expecting that because, you know, holidays and all that shit. Podcast be damned. So I think the first thing we're going to get into is uh, anything new we've watched in the last week or so. So I'll just throw it over to you, Dan, because I know you have at least one thing to mention. So I I have exactly one thing. It'll be brief. I am trying to kind of make an effort to watch more recent stuff that's kind of genre stuff the kind of either direct to video or you know stuff that you know just looks interesting just sort of and um i've noticed there are a ton of like modern westerns that are being made you know a ton of like kind of a mm-hmm. low budget basically tv actors and stuff making westerns so i was like well uh let's just click on one and see what it is i watched the timber and you should uh, not watch the timber it's, it's I, I totally agree i see that Basically, uh, it's a, it's a bunch of uh, pretty rich white boys wandering around, putting on period clothes, and making pretentious speeches to one another in an incoherent mess of a film. Uh, that's that's essentially what this is. And that's a uh, that's a bleak film too, man. <laughs> well, it's it's bleak, but it's not even like I can't even. I I like bleak films. I think there is this. I think there really was like a, a genuine spark of an idea here. But A, the, the plot is basically incoherent because it feels like there's a bunch of stuff that's just left out of the film. Either they yeah. didn't shoot it or they shot it and then cut cut it for time. Although the film is only like 87 minutes long and it has six minutes of credits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I, I don't know quite what the uh, what the deal was there. But, um, man, do you feel every one of those minutes too? It's, it's, it's long. Yeah. It also kind of feels like once you get to the kind of final sequence, I feel like that's when the movie actually starts to 
take shape and actually kind of takes off and you kind of wish that you hadn't had this whole hour of basically wandering around the woods with no reason i mean there's there's some interesting ideas about like you know the kind of uh, brutality of nature and versus the brutality of human beings and the way that economic systems can crush people but it's 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 just an unformed mess and you shouldn't watch it so that's that's yeah. kind of I don't want I don't want to go on too long about this. It's not worth it. But I'll say I'll say the most disappointing but thing about that is like the whole sort of secondary uh, plot to that, the sort of B story in it, uh-huh. just so underdeveloped. It's it's just broadly forgotten about for like half the movie. Like you see a little bit of it, and then it's gone, and it's just like oh my god. There's all these characters, and they have all these motivations and stuff, and they look like they might be interesting characters, and you want to get to know them, and they don't give you anything. It's just. Ah, I just left cold. Yeah. Really fucking cold by the end of it. I didn't give a shit about anyone in the movie, and I wanted to, but the movie didn't give me anything to give a shit about. So I kept having to because I was kind of making dinner, so I would like watch ten minutes and then get up and uh, you know go stir and then kind of come back and, and that sort of thing. And it just kind of became, why am I still watching this? Like I, I would rather not watch this. But then I thought, well, I. At least this way I'll have something to talk about on the podcast. So. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only, that's really the only thing I watched, uh, I watched this week, uh, film wise. Um, I watched a little TV, but that's about it. So. Right on. First thing I'll mention is I actually did watch, I know, Put Locker. I found a decent version of Star Wars The Force Awakens. So I figured, you know what? I had nothing better to do. So why not waste time to watch it? I'm not the biggest fan of Star Wars. I like the first three films unblemished by digital enhancements and stuff like that. That's sort of where I sit on it. This felt like a Star Wars film. I'll give it that. It was pretty decent. Some good actors in it. Uh, Definitely the acting. Essentially this film, and this isn't really spoilers, so no one has to really worry about that shit. But even though at this point... if It's it's made like a a billion dollars already worldwide. I mean, you know, people are going to see it have kind of gone to see it at this point. Yeah. But it essentially it is like beat for beat, sort of a rehash of the first Star Wars film. It does a good job of it. I mean, honestly, it gives the Star Wars fans exactly what they want. More Star Wars. Real Star Wars instead of the prequel films. And beat for beat is pretty much the same. Uh, the acting is way better. Uh, there is essentially a female version of Luke Skywalker in this film. And she's a way better actor than uh, Mark Hamill was at that point when he first was in the first Star Wars. I watched the whole thing. I wasn't bored by it. Had a few surprises. It was a bit charming. And I can definitely see how this would uh, really sort of tick off all the stuff that a real Star Wars geek would want in a Star Wars film. So uh, good job, J.J. Abrams. He actually And he actually restrained himself. Like his directing style, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think is, would be all that conducive to a Star Wars type film, but he pretty much captures the spirit of films. So. <laughs> well, he, he had uh, he had two chances to uh, already try to make a Star Wars film, so I guess he's now uh, kind of kind of perfected that. Yeah, Sorry, he, I'm I'm, uh, I, I'm more of a Star Trek person than a Star Wars person. Same and, here, uh, but yeah, he 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 fucked up. He fucked up Star Trek enough that he learned his lessons apparently with Star well, Wars. Well, films. he just decided to make Star Trek Star Wars films and just mm. call them Star Trek films. You know, it's like it's it's. Uh, um, that, that's kind of my big complaint about Star about a Star Trek films. It's not that they're bad films. I mean, the second one is pretty bad, but I mean, it's not that like the first film is is bad. It's just it's not Star Trek. It's Star Wars. It's very clear he wanted to make Star Wars, so mm-hmm. uh, it's unsurprising that he made an effective one. Um, kind of the biggest thing that I've I haven't seen the film yet. I think we're gonna try to see it, but I don't know. We're I mean, you kind of have to, right? Like you know, mm. but, um, 
No, the probably the big thing that I've seen people say about it is just that it's it's a good film. It's worth you know exactly kind of what you said. It, it's worth watching. Um, and now we've kind of set up to where Ryan Johnson can make an actually interesting Star Wars film you know, in three years. You know, like it's it's sort of like it sets it up. It actually okay, Star Wars is a thing again. Now let's wait for like the good one in three years. You know, that's sort of the uh, the, the thing that I've heard. Um, and yeah. then there's a, there's been a lot of conversation about the way that um, race and gender play out in this, and sort of sort of the decisions that have been made there. You know, in, in the communities I frequent, I've seen a lot of conversation about that. So. Um, you know, anyway, I haven't seen it. I, I hope to see it in theaters, but um, if it's that or Hateful Eight, I'm definitely going to see Hateful Eight. There's no question. Yeah, I would I would say see Hateful Eight as well. Uh, but yeah, I'll say this. I mean, good job taking the stink off the prequels. I mean, yeah. So well, I mean, all all he really had to do was shoot it on film, not digital, okay. and go back to the used future vision mm-hmm. and just not fuck it up too bad. And this plays into his wheelhouse. You know, J.J. Abrams was great at the fun, you don't have to think very hard about this kind of way of, of making films. Like, there's no, you know, there's no subtlety required to a Star yeah. Wars film, you know, really. Um, if you're just, like, wanting to make the fan base happy, you make something that feels like Star Wars and people are going to be happy with it. So I, I think it's great. Yeah, and uh, the only other thing I really watched, I just watched this last night, actually. This was sort of a recommendation I took from a, a horror movie podcast that I listened to called The Horror Movie Podcast, and they did their end list of the best horror movies of the year. So I was sort of looking at their list for stuff that I hadn't watched yet, and uh, there's this uh, little film on Netflix called Christy, that's Christy with a K, uh, from 2014, and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, essentially, it is this girl decides to spend her Thanksgiving vacation. She's a college student. She decides to spend it on campus while everyone else has gone away, gone home or whatever else for Thanksgiving. So she's essentially the only person there. She becomes the target of this masked cult of killers who seem to enjoy making snuff videos and uploading them on the internet. Now, this sort of subject matter generally doesn't interest me in horror films. I'm generally not a big fan of torture porn. I'm not really a big fan of sort of just just stuff that sort of borders on like sort of snuff territory territory subject matter or whatever not necessarily i'm not necessarily saying this is a snuff film just saying like it uses that idea as something in the film but man this does a really good job like it, it kind of rem- reminded me of the film the strangers from a few years back although i really didn't like that film this that's is the one with Liv tyler right yeah this this reminded yeah. me of i, I kind of like that but that's because Liv tyler is amazing <laughs> Well, this this reminded me of a more interesting version of that, and it's got more action to it. And it's just it's it's weird because the main character's name is Justine. It's not Christy. It's 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 basically the sort of code name this cult gives their next victim. They call they call her Christy, and all the killers who are hunting her on the campus call her Christy. Christy. It's just sort of like a code word for sort of the qualities that they look for in a target, I guess. It was really interesting. Like, the killers, their motivations aren't necessarily spelt out. It's kind of, it, it's just fun watching her basically become, you know, the, the sort of final girl formula. There's there's really only a couple other kills in it. It's basically just her against these killers for throughout the whole movie for the most part. And it's just watching her start to fight back. Fight back really effectively. Like, they, they set up early in the film that she's athletic so that comes into play how she is able to avoid these people long enough that she can start to turn the tables on them 
and it's got a really effective uh, cat and mouse game, uh, lots of suspense, and I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with it. And, you know, sometimes I don't mind horror movies if they have, like, a really downer of an ending because that can be really effective and really good. But this is one of these ones that has more of an upbeat ending where evil is punished, essentially. And I was with justine the whole way while she was fighting back and punishing evil i was i was you you fucking go girl and it was it was a really it was a really fun film and i don't think a lot of people would probably watch it like they'd see it on their netflix and they'd think oh it's just another modern horror movie that's probably not good and they just you know look past it i definitely recommend it it's definitely one to watch i think so that's awesome. I might uh, I might check that out myself. So we can move on now, and we will get to a little round of movie God. And Daniel made the good suggestion here that we should try to cater the movie God to stuff that is in our eventual uh, top ten list here for the end of the year. So um, actually, I'll just throw again to you, Daniel, if you want to throw your movie God at me. I went more thematic than anything. Um, in terms of like 2015 in film, um, okay. although I think one of these will, <laughs> you'll figure out kind of what this is uh, pretty quickly. And I, I picked two actors, and uh, one of whom is uh, Mel Gibson. All right. And the other is Harrison Ford. Okay, and I I can sort of I think I can sort of see the uh... where, where I'm kind of going from coming yeah. from in terms of. Um, so, so basically, movie god here. I'll explain it just briefly for the mm-hmm. audience who may not know. Um, I just gave Lee. I just gave Lee two actors, and it could have been two movies or two anything really. And he has to remove one from the timeline so that it doesn't exist. Nothing that uh, that person ever made existed, and anything that came about from that person's involvement would exist. He has to choose to remove either Mel Gibson or Harrison Ford from the timeline as an evil, vengeful movie god. That is that is his uh, yeah. goal in life right now. Okay, so the first thing i got to think of is the two iconic franchises that these two guys are arguably very responsible for. Um, I'd say even Harrison Ford has probably got more to do with Star Wars' success than Mark Hamill ever did. And then you go Mad Max with uh, Mel Gibson. <sighs> and, you know, for Mel Gibson, the kind of things I like from him are pretty much just Mad Max. And then you think about it, and if we never had him doing Mad Max, then you probably would never have Fury Road at the end of the day. Because uh, Mad Max probably, who the hell would have they put in place of him for Mad Max? Would there have been anyone around that in that era I mean, who would have taken off? He was this unknown guy at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if you imagine without Mad Max, I mean, he doesn't happen. You know, I mean, you know, um, yeah. But but I mean that that film probably would just be another one of those like seventies, you know, kind of car films. As good as the direction would have been, even if you assume the rest of the film is is everything that it, it was eventually. You know, I I don't think that uh, it would have taken off in the same way without that kind of magnetic presence of of uh, uh, Mel Gibson. Mm. And the thing with Harrison Ford is for the longest time, he made a lot of great movies after star Wars. And then for the longest time, he fucking dogged it and stopped acting. I'm happy to say that he actually started acting in the new star Wars film again. Uh, yay for you. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, fuck man, because he definitely made a lot of movies. I like 
Mel Gibson made a lot of movies I like afterwards. I'm not a big fan of the Lethal Weapon series, but then he went on to doing his own projects and directing some pretty decent films. I mean, you know, not necessarily historically accurate, but, you know, some of them are pretty interesting all the same. I still like Braveheart, even though it's all a bunch of bullshit. Uh, you know what? I think it comes down to the fact that I think deep down at the be- at the end of the day, Harrison Ford is still the better actor overall. And when he wants to, he still pulls that out. Like, I'm not saying Mel Gibson's a terrible actor, but he just doesn't have the charisma that... <laughs> and I feel weird fucking saying this, because Harrison Ford hasn't shown charisma in like 20 fucking years, but... That's being I, generous, actually. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but it's I, only close to the 30 at this point, but, you know. But he he just has this sort of charisma and underlying angst that I really enjoy when he fucking brings it out. And I don't know. Uh, if I eliminate Mel Gibson, it's going to eliminate one of the films off my list, essentially, for, the, for, 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 for my list. But at the same time, I... Fuck it. I, I, I got to say, I got to keep Harrison Ford and eliminate Mel Gibson. I just... I don't know. I, j- I just like more of Ford's stuff overall. Even when he's fucking dogging it, I still like some of his stuff overall compared to Gibson's. So I think that's where it lies. But... Yeah, that, that's a real tough one. Uh, fuck. Yeah, for me, I, I thought about this, and I was, I was, I knew I wanted to put Mel Gibson, but I couldn't decide who else I wanted to kind of throw in there. And then, you know, obviously, Star Wars to Harrison Ford just becomes the obvious thing. And they, yeah. it is an interesting comparison because they both really, when they're when they're good, they really do have charm. And I and I think that Mel Gibson has been better in more films than Harrison Ford has because I really think Harrison Ford just. Uh, I guess I guess twenty years is accurate because I was thinking okay, there's um, the Fugitive, which is kind of what I what I think is kind of the last really great Harrison Ford performance. You didn't mention the Indiana Jones, which I kind of grew up with even more than I did Star Wars in a lot of ways, and which is uh, obviously that would, without him that that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine like Tom Selleck is as <laughs> Indiana Jones? Oh, no, um, I uh, for me I have to make the same choice. I do like the Lethal Weapon films more than you do. But um, just for, you know, Harrison Ford just means more to me. And, uh, yes, that does mean eliminating a, a film from my from my list, you know. But, I mean, without Mad Max, you would have – I mean, without Mel Gibson, you would have lost a bunch of the, like, 80s uh, cop comedies, you know. Mm-hmm. It's possible Shane Black never happens. Um, it's possible that Mad Max would just be this weird, like, Australian import thing, and you'd just, you know, it, it would be this kind of weird movie, and it wouldn't have – but maybe uh, George Miller. George Miller is a great director. He would have gone on to do something else interesting, regardless. Yeah, I I, honestly, and when I think about it as well, uh, it's actually probably two movies are going to be eliminated from my list if Mel Gibson wasn't around. Because if you go by the premise that not having Mel Gibson for Mad Max kind of sinks Mad Max as a franchise, uh, then you don't have all the post-apocalyptic ripoffs of Mad Max. And right. one of my films basically depends heavily. Actually, two. Two other films on my list wow. depend heavily on that sort of genre. So they might not have turned out or existed at all in the way, you know, so shit. Still, <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking tough one, you motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> well, let's see what your let's see what your choice was uh, for me and see if it's uh, all equally tough. Yeah, I don't I don't think it is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this, this funny is funny. We both think it's tough, but we both chose the same way, which is interesting as well. Well, these are these are two actors who are uh, from films that will be on my list, and I was trying to look for actors 
in these films that are sort of like contemporaries that have sort of risen in fame in the sort of same couple decades or so, the last, you know, 10, 20 years or so. And I want you to eliminate either Guy Pierce or Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, God. For me, I mean, Guy Pierce, uh, L.A. Confidential is, is one of those movies that's just almost comfort food for me at this point. You know, um, it's uh, such a great little genre film. And that, that film, it's, like, he is magnetic in that film. Like, mm-hmm. that film is kind of the, the breaking, like, the made both Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe. Yeah. And without him, I don't know that that film works in the same way that it does. I'm a little less, I mean, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff. I'm a little bit less kind of obviously like smitten with a lot of his other stuff than, than, I mean, you know, it's funny, like he's a great actor. I really admire him, but nothing else like pops for me is like, Oh, that's the great guy Pierce role. Although um, watching uh, the timber, I kept thinking of ravenous as the, you know, it's like, because the timber is such like, you know, sanitized, you know, white bread, you know, kind of actors and, uh, Ravenous is definitely feels dirty and grimy in the way that, like, I think the Timber really could have used. But I don't know that there's anything that, like, wouldn't exist without him. You know, even something like Memento would probably, you know, somebody else would have played that part. I don't know that, um, um, I mean, I don't know that it, like, relies on him specifically. You know, it would have been Joey Pontigliano playing that part or something, you or, know. Or, uh... Maybe like Christian Bale or someone could. Yeah, yeah, it would have been would have been somebody like that. I mean, if you ask me, uh, Christian Bale or Guy Pierce, I would absolutely pick Guy Pierce. Or I mean, I would keep Guy Pierce because you know, yeah. Who am I comparing this guy to? I'm sorry, I can. DiCaprio. DiCaprio. God, I'm the fact that I'm even tempted to not kill Guy Pierce or to not kill DiCaprio tells you how much I love LA Confidential and I love because. Leo's done some, I mean, amazing, amazing work. I mean, I don't know that Django Unchained works in the same way without him. I don't know that Wolf of Wall Street works the same way without him. I think he's he's a phenomenal actor. You know, but fuck it. I'm going to kill him instead. I'm keeping Guy Pierce because okay. it's more interesting. He's just more interesting. Nice. DiCaprio is, uh, I mean, it, this is almost just a spur-of-the-moment decision. DiCaprio is great. You'd kill some of my favorite movies, but I'm still going to keep Guy Pierce just because he's a more interesting actor. <laughs> nice. And and I would be fascinated to see what Django and Chain looks like with somebody else in the DiCaprio role. Oh man, who would they even stick in there? Because and it's weird. It's weird to think that DiCaprio is 41 years old right now. Well, that just shows you how young he was when he did like Titanic. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, he was a child actor, and um, I mean, you think about like. I think for me, the thing with DiCaprio is he's, he's, he's an amazing actor, but he's also like one of those, I am an Oscar caliber actor. You know, he, Mm -hmm. you you definitely get that sense of like, he's really swinging for the Oscar specifically in every role he takes. And it's not that he's not great, but that it's, it, it feels a little self-involved sometimes. And I think that that's sort of the, what spurs the decision. And again, it's not that he's not brilliant. It's that he knows he's brilliant and he doesn't care that you know that he knows he's brilliant. And you, um, and, you, and you don't really see him, like, jumping on, like, uh, character pieces and stuff. And, I mean, that's been Pierce's bread and butter for most of his career. It's just, right. like, you know, this sort of becoming part of some ensemble somewhere. I mean, honestly, like, with Guy Pierce, L.A. Confidential definitely is big for him. And that's one I usually gravitate towards. And for him, honestly, as much as I love his work, when I think about him, it's L.A. Confidential and... Animal Kingdom are the two roles that I really... I haven't seen Animal Kingdom, so I, I would definitely no. have to uh, seek that out. 
I mean, he's a great actor. It's it's kind of hard. I mean, he's just going to be one of those guys who, I mean, he's been a working actor for almost 20 years now. And, I mean, there are a handful of films that I really kind of go, like, he's kind of pivotal to that. And they're not huge films. I mean, Killing DiCaprio absolutely affects the film industry more. Yeah. I mean, would, would Titanic have been a thing without DiCaprio? Well, that just, that, that sells her right there. Kill the motherfucker. <laughs> uh, would James Cameron have come back? You know, I wonder I wonder what that would have done to James Cameron's career. Although, I don't know. Uh... Like, it's it feels like, despite the fact that he's been in so much stuff and he's been so... Um, I just I don't sense a great influence from him. Where I think Guy Pierce has been kind of the smaller guy kind of doing these smaller roles, but in a handful of things he's been like pivotal that have been like really, really interesting choices. So I'm almost killing DiCaprio because of I think that would be a more interesting universe without DiCaprio. I like it. That that would that would have been the decision I made. So Although without DiCaprio, I don't know that Scorsese has a latter period career. Cause I mean, Scorsese kind of ran into that problem of he wanted to make films, but he needed a star who would just do whatever he did that would get yeah. those movies. So I don't know that you would have gotten a lot of those Scorsese films, the later period Scorsese films, without DiCaprio. I don't know. Maybe like Hugh Jackman or somebody would have stepped in. I don't know. <laughs> Hugh Jackman. I can't see him in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, no, I, no, I, he I, wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have been the Wolf of Wall Street. But um, that know. does so doesn't fit. Doesn't fit at all. Uh, and, and that's the weird. And again, I was saying it's the weird thing. Thinking about DiCaprio being forty-one, he's just got that baby face. So you immediately assume he's younger. Like every time I see him in a film, I'm thinking early thirties at the most. Every time I see him in something, and I'm trying to compare him, like who else would do this role? And I'm trying to think of younger actors, and I can't really think of any. And and when you try to think of older actors, it's like they won't work because they're noticeably older actors. And, right. Yeah. So. No, it would have been Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire would have had uh, okay. would have had Leo DiCaprio's career if uh, Leo DiCaprio had had not become an actor. To- Tobey Maguire, maybe. Oh wait, maybe Edward Norton if he wasn't such a prick. Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah, I could see that Edward it Norton may- as as Wolf of Wall Street. I actually buy that. I could, I could buy yeah. that. I could definitely buy that. Uh, and maybe and, in- and Django Unchained. I kind of buy him in Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for some of the like the bigger, more just like uh, swinging at the Oscar roles where he just has to look good or whatever, maybe Elijah Wood would be that sort of baby faced fucking leading guy. It's funny how much we agree on this. Like killing DiCaprio <laughs> is is the better decision because you just DiCaprio kind of sucks out the air of the room to a certain degree. Yeah. Like it's uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I like it. All I mean, right. totally the, the right choice. <laughs> All right, uh, so we can just move right on now to our best things we watched in 2015, and then we'll talk a little afterwards about uh, some of the disappointments uh, that we ran into for 2015.
but actually, we'll start with honorable mentions. I think first. Uh, sure. So if you if you want to start throwing a couple off your honorable mentions list, we'll go there. Sure, uh, I'll just uh, list a, a few that were kind of uh, on the long list that didn't make the full list for kind of late edition uh, removal. So when I made this list, I decided it had to have a, sl- a slasher, it had to have a sex comedy, and it had to have a uh, giallo. Um, and this isn't a list of like, these are the best things I watched. It's kind of like these were the most interesting things to kind of put on a list almost, you know, because when I get to like the disappointment list, there are movies, there's at least one movie on the disappointment list. That's better than half the stuff on my best list, but it's also, (laughs) it was, it was a huge disappointment, but I did decide it had to have at least one of all three of those. And and so I did end up kind of choosing that, but uh, yeah, a uh, a movie, uh, one that probably the last one, and I did make a top 11 list because I just couldn't take off the last one. So just to let you know, there are 11 films in my top 10 list. Right on. And there's a tie, so there are really 12. But it was going to be 13. <laughs> and the last one I took off was uh, Restrepo. That was the uh, documentary, the uh, Sebastian Younger documentary mm-hmm. about uh, soldiers in Afghanistan. I decided not to include She Killed in Ecstasy on this list. Okay. Um, mostly because I'm just going to count it as next year because we're going to podcast on it next year. So I'm just going to count it as a 2016, even though I saw it at the end of 2015. Tenebre lasted longer than um, I thought it was going to last. Um, you know, I was I was really interested in that one. Um, it just kind of ultimately kind of fell off the list. The uh, Kristen Wiig vehicle, Welcome to Me, I really wanted to include. Um, I talked about that one um, way back. Um, that's the film where uh, she plays this uh, person with borderline personality disorder. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it is on Netflix. It's actually really worth a watch. Like it's got some really cool a- actors in it. Uh, Wes Bentley's in it. Um, <laughs> You know, a bunch of a bunch of really cool people are in it. One that uh, was on the early list that didn't make, uh, but I thought was was a, a surprisingly better film than I thought it was going to be was the uh, Not of This Earth with Tracy Lords, <laughs> um, which I just had a lot of fun with. I mean, that last half hour gets a little oh, okay. I'm kind of done with this, but it was a lot of fun. I was going to put Vamp- Vampiros Lesbos was kind of like oh that that would be fun to put on here, but that didn't end up being on there. Yeah, that's uh, Star Crash, another kind of surprisingly good mm-hmm. one. Um, Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. I would, I would consider that for like, if we do do that one next year, I might just throw that on the. On we're the we're just. I, I've I've already decided we're just going to straight up do all the Amicus anthologies. So okay, cool. Yeah. So I'll watch them all. Um, but yeah, um, Zardoz. I really considered putting Zardoz on, but it was mm-hmm. only kind of a disappointing structurally, you know, more so. I mean, it was, again, it's more interesting than a lot of the other films on my list, but yeah. it was just kind of ultimately, like, it didn't hit me in the way that I wanted it to, to really, like, make the list. So, that's just kind of a general, like, those are just some things that I was thinking of when I made the list, so. I've got probably way too many honorable mentions, uh, like I was telling you offline. When I initially was doing this list, I, I, I started uh, building it up, like, a few weeks ago. And just in, like the last two weeks, I've watched <laughs> so many fucking good movies that basically bumped stuff off my top ten that now I have like a bloated honorable mentions list because I still can't just like throw them into the ether, I guess. So first one I'll mention is Inherent Vice. Uh, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, and I need to watch it again to really solidify what I think about it. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I, I found it really quirky and interesting. And um, almost like a serious take on like the Big Lebowski to some extent. <laughs> and I saw that at the end of 2014, so I couldn't count it. But um, that absolutely would have been on my list if I had uh, if if it had been eligible for this list. Yeah, yeah. 
another one I'll mention, Bone Tomahawk, which is a little uh, direct-to-video Western starring Kurt Russell. Uh, has some horror elements uh, definitely near the end of the film and uh, some <laughs> real brutality near the end of the film that is incredibly surprising. I really enjoyed it. Interestingly enough, kind of parallels uh, The Hateful Eight to some degree because A, it also start that also stars Kurt Russell and both these films are kind of long and talky for a lot of the a lot of the running time but this one builds tension really well and i really enjoyed it and it was a nice little genre piece that surprised the hell out of me so was that on netflix uh bone tomahawk is not on netflix right now no okay so yeah another one i'll mention uh this is one that you suggested for the podcast computer chess i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed uh the way it was put together i it didn't feel like um phony period recreation it felt like a more earnest love letter to a certain period and it felt like a really earnest recreation and at the same time it puts some really interesting ideas out there without uh, hammering you over the head with them there's some actually pretty scary possible consequences to some of the stuff that's going on in that film that uh really intrigued me and it's amazing that all that stuff sort of came out of a film that where nothing really happens in the film at all. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Another one I'll mention, this is a documentary, uh, An Honest Liar, about James Randi. I really like that. Been a big fan of Randi for a long time. And it was interesting to see how some of the stuff that he did in his career sort of parallels some real-life events that happened to him. Uh, involving his relationship with his partner, it's a, it's an intriguing little look into also into his career and stuff like that. So um, I, I found it pretty pretty engrossing and uh, definitely worth watching. Still on Netflix, I believe. So definitely it if is. You seen it, yeah. It uh, next one I'll mention, and this is uh, one of the ones that would not exist without uh, Mad Max. And this is uh, the Guy Pierce uh, movie, The Rover, which I also think is on Netflix. I think it is. That one is on. Um, actually, I was almost going to watch that instead of The Timber, and I really should have. But it was ten minutes longer, or twenty minutes longer than The Timber, and I didn't uh, have time to finish it before we got on to record tonight. And it actually is on Amazon Prime. So if, uh, you're, if you're a Prime member, you can. It's one of the like free ones you can just watch. So uh, that one will definitely. I will definitely watch that in the next few weeks, and uh, we'll chat about it. Cool. That was essentially. This is essentially like the what would really happen if Mad Max happened kind of thing. Like, right. Uh, very much more brutal. Much more. Um, down to earth and realistic and it was quite the experience watching that film is this like wow everything is just if the world really went that way this is like the day-to-day brutality and and nastiness that uh, the common person would have to deal with in that sort of world as opposed to Mad Max driving around shooting at uh, homosexual bikers with mohawks and uh, stuff like that you know none of that interesting stuff going on this is just like yeah, we're we're starving. Uh, everyone's brutal. Everyone's out for themselves. Everyone's shooting each other, and it's just it's pretty nasty. And uh, I thought it was quite the quite the good movie. Another one I'll add, and this one was one that was definitely bumped off my top ten this year. The Martian. It's actually a really good movie. It's a big movie, definitely. Uh, it slows down whenever you get off Mars and see what the other people are doing. Uh, that's not interesting at all. It's all it's all Matt Damon when he's doing his one man show on Mars trying to survive. I don't know if all the science is a hundred percent correct, but it at least leans towards being scientifically accurate and plausible. 
and it's just a really good survival film essentially and it's all about using your brain to survive uh it's not you know it's not fucking armageddon where they're throwing rockets at asteroids and having people blow up asteroids and shit like it's none of that bullshit it's it, it's it's really good and it, it it was i i was on the edge of my seat for several different scenes and i i felt it was really effectively done so here's another one that was knocked off my list this is sort of a mockumentary in the vein of uh, this is Spinal Tap. Uh, this is done by the uh, Flight of the Concords guys. Um, it's called What We Do in the Shadows, which is a vampire mockumentary about three vampires living, sharing a flat in New Zealand. And nice. <laughs> it is fucking hilarious. For me anyway, I found it really hilarious. Uh, three different vampires. The the oldest one is this Nosferatu barely human vampire who lives in the fucking basement who they can barely relate to or talk to. Uh, there's another one who's sort of like the vet Vlad the Impaler kind of guy. And then the other one's this sort of foppish like Anne Rice vampire. And it's just like basically the day-to-day uh, stuff they have to deal with. Uh, sharing a flat in the modern world. They, they have like a, a human helper who uh, helps them do stuff and they have a documentary crew filming them. They there's there's a funny sort of storyline in it where they run into a pack of werewolves and they have this like childish feud with this pack of werewolves. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. Also has some actually pretty stark moments of actual horror in it as well. And there is actually some for such a low budget film. There's some really great special effects. Like there's this one special effect where a vampire crawls out of a knapsack essentially. Uh, and I don't know how the fuck they did it, but it looks great. It looks practical as well, so I don't think it was digital, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a little sort of a hidden gem, I guess. It sort of flew under people's radar, but uh, it's an excellent, excellent film. Another one I'll mention, and here's a cowboy film that is actually really good and is on Netflix, The Dark Valley, which is a Western set in Europe. You're sort of straight ahead uh, revenge film, but you know, it, it definitely keeps some secrets hidden and reveals them along the way. And it just does it way better. It's more brutal, more earnest than um, the timber could ever hope to be essentially. And it's really good. And just to round up, and I won't say too much about these two blue ruin, which we did on the podcast. Uh, that was also bumped off my top 10 list this year. Grounded uh, revenge film that actually deals with consequences rather than just violence and sensationalism. And Heroes of the East, one of the few Shaw Brothers films I had not seen until this year, and I'm really glad I did because it's one of the more refreshingly well-made Shaw Brothers films. So, yeah, that's my honorable mentions. Uh, some of those are on my list, so we'll get to them when we get there. Um, so I... I'm trying not to say too much just until we get there and I'll kind of talk about them. Uh, Heroes of the East is one I was going to watch the other day and then um, was kind of not in the uh, headspace where I wanted to read subtitles. It's, you know, yeah. how that is sometimes you're just kind of like, I, I don't, I want to be able to kind of like look at my phone and stuff while I'm watching this. So uh, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't watch this and, uh, and kind of like check Twitter. So I, I'm going to have to watch something else. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. I actually made a list of uh, some of those films so I can make sure to, uh, watch them soon um, because I've been uh, trying to uh, catch up. I'm, I'm making a, uh, an effort to watch more uh, varied stuff this year, watch more um, 
you know, not just the stuff for the podcast and not just the stuff that's, uh, you know, kind of up there easy on uh, Netflix or whatever, but stuff that's a little bit harder to find or stuff that's a little bit uh, more interesting. And um, I'm, I'm particularly going to try to, like, kind of fill some gaps in my film knowledge this year. So, um, you know, kind of watch a lot of, like, uh, the French New Wave stuff. I haven't watched a lot mm-hmm. of that, so I'm going to try to watch some of that this year and um, that, that sort of thing. Just, just kind of go back and all these titles that I've been wanting to watch for years, and now I'm going to take the chance to do it. Expect me to have watched at least one of these five films that uh, that I wrote down here by this time next week. So uh, yeah, right on. So yeah, we can just jump into our uh, sort of top tens or uh, top thirteens or whatever the hell it is your list is right now. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you if you want to start off, and uh, hell, if you just want to like talk about like two or three selections, we don't have to go one each every time. Take turns. You can we just you can just name off a couple selections and talk about them in length if you feel like it. Sure, no problem. Well, let's do uh, let's do my top two. Or so I didn't put these in. Uh, I put them in alphabetical order just because I, I didn't do a numbered list. One of the films on this list is my favorite film of the year, and I'll call that one out when I get to it. I don't think anybody's going to have any doubts about which film it is when I get there. <laughs> the uh, it, it turned out when I put these in alphabetical order, the uh, the top two were in were were both documentaries, and one of these. The second one is actually a uh, two films together, which I just kind of wanted to discuss together. So uh, The Act of Killing, which mm-hmm. was uh, the uh, documentary from a few years ago about the uh, killings in Malaysia, kind of death squads and, and that sort of thing. And I talked a lot about that when I uh, kind of talked about it originally. Um, this is a fascinating film. If you watch it and you want to cover it on the podcast, I would absolutely um, kind of go into some detail on this. Um, but all I'm going to say is uh, if you – I mean – if you want to know what genocide looks like and what death squads look like, watch this film. This is, it's, it's a fascinating film. I mean, the psychology of it, and there's a whole like kind of literature around it now. You know, it's kind of been out for long enough, and, and people have kind of talked about what the film means. And uh, the filmmaker, the the director, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, has talked a lot about the process of making it and, and that sort of thing. And that stuff is is just as interesting as the film itself. And uh, so, highly recommended. Um, and then the uh, the two that I'm considering together, and will be kind of obvious why I'm putting them together, just because um, it's an honest liar, which you mentioned a moment ago, and mm-hmm. uh, life itself. And uh, these are both documentaries about you know kind of middle aged men. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of them died. Uh, life itself is the Roger Ebert documentary, um, which is um, kind of about not just Ebert's life, but his uh, and his career, but also about him coming to the end of his life. Because they happened to be filming it just as he had uh, kind of hit his uh, his illness had uh, had come back and he he died literally in the in the process of making it and they mm. it's all it's all on film. If you're if you're the kind of person listening to a podcast where we talk about movies, you probably have some feeling positive or negative on Roger Ebert, and you should watch this film. It's 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 phenomenal. Um, an honest liar. I'll just take mark onto everything that you said about it. Um, it's uh, absolutely right there. Really, really kind of nice film about this guy's life and about sort of the the skeptic movement movement around him. Um, mm-hmm. I do wish that the film was a little bit more balanced towards some of the stuff. I mean, I think that it it does kind of it, it's a little bit hero worshipful of him. Yeah, it um, is. Uh, and I and I I do wish that there was just a little bit more of a kind of journalistic balance. Um, you know, not a false balance, but at least a sort of sense of like let's talk about some of the things he did that weren't so nice, you know, and that sort of thing. It's it's uh, again worth your time. Uh, really, really good. It's it's one of the, my favorite films I watched this year. 
my number 10 is the editor. This is a Canadian made one. It's from uh, the guy, same guys from uh, Astron six, which is sort of a little independent Canadian film company has made some interesting uh, horror movies in the last couple of years. Uh, this is a love letter to the Giallo film essentially is what it is. At the same time, it's also a spoof. Um, it kind of comes off in the same way as uh, Black Dynamite came off for black exploitation films to a certain degree. They, they filmed it all in English, and then they redubbed it in English just as a little joke to the whole Italian filmmaking process. Some of the stuff is over the top, like it, it's a little bit more over the top and broad and is depiction of giallo films, essentially. But it is, at the same time, kind of consistent with the quality of a lot of these sort of films from the genre. It also sort of touches into some of the supernatural films of the genre and stuff like that as well. And it actually kind of works as a crazy 70s-style slasher film also to some degree. It's, like, really bloody. It doesn't hold off on the boobs and the blood and uh, the violence and all that stuff. And it just does a really good job of sort of capturing what what kind of craziness went on in sort of Italian filmmaking back in that day because it's essentially a film about an Italian film crew making a giallo film it just does a really good it just does a great job of spoofing the genre but, but at the same time not making fun of it actually kind of you know it's kind of a love letter to the whole thing so it's really good Another one I'll mention is Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. This is my favorite documentary of the year, and I absolutely adored every moment of it, uh, watching this poor guy who's kind of a crackpot, but he was the original guy slated to be director of the Island of Dr. Moreau, the disastrous Val Kilmer, Marlon Brando. It just shows how fucked up Hollywood was at that time, making those fucking films. Unbelievable shit. Just unbelievable shit, the stories you hear about backstage stuff that went on, all the all the little conflicts and stuff between the stars, all the pre-Madonna bullshit going on with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando, poor Feruza Balk, <laughs> who is, who is uh, dating uh, Stanley around that time, some of the shit she encountered in that film. You watch it and you're just like... How did this movie even ever get made? It was just such a fucking clusterfuck of bullshit. And, uh, but it makes for a great documentary, really great documentary. And the documentary doesn't uh, necessarily take Stanley's side with everything either. It, 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 it does a good job of presenting the fact that Stanley is kind of an oddball and a weirdo in a way that's not necessarily always endearing. <laughs> he was kind of kind of fucking out there, and he kind of didn't take control of the project the way he probably should have. But at the same time, he was this sort of independent director who was kind of thrust into a major project right away. So it's kind of understandable to some degree how he probably was basically set up to fail uh, in this in this production. But uh, uh, really enjoyable. If, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth seeing. I think, I'm pretty sure that's on Netflix as well. I can't it remember. It is. Uh, it's been on my kind of like uh, radar to watch at some point for a while now, and I just haven't like sat down and watched it. But um, I'm taking note of all, I'm taking note of a bunch of these, so um, I'm going to try to pick up some of this pretty soon. Cool, cool. Uh, all right, if you want to throw another two out there, uh, Dan. Sure. Uh, both of these were on your runner-up list, so uh, I probably won't talk about them too long, but uh, Blue Ruin mm-hmm. and uh, Computer Chess. 
Blue Ruin I love just because it's such a uh, effective little. Uh, it's a small movie. It's well acted. It's well constructed. Um, it is. It has that that kind of realist naturalist style, um, which is really uh, fascinating. Um, it really is about very organic consequences and very organic, almost clockwork. I mean, clockwork makes it sound like it is um, austere, which it isn't. It's mm-hmm. very in the real world, but it's very much about like thing A happens, which leads directly to thing B, which leads to thing C, and um, just all the way down to Z, where everybody's dead. Like that's sort of <laughs> how the film goes. But um, really, really fascinating. Absolutely, uh, absolutely worth watching. Um, one of my favorite films of this year. And uh, Computer Chess, which I, I mean, everything that you said uh, about Computer Chess is. I'll just, I'll just again, I'll just repeat. Yes, I agree completely with uh, everything that Lee said there. Much uh, probably worth a rewatch. I would, I would, I haven't uh, revisited that since I saw it the first time. Probably my favorite film. I don't know. Yeah, my favorite film. Well, one of my favorite films I saw in black and white this year. So um, <laughs> also worth seeing. Um, I'll also mention that the uh, two films because we covered both of these on our on the podcast. Both the Libertine, which we covered with Computer Chess, because I just picked it, um, was on a it was on the long list, and um, the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal film. Oh, God, what's the name? Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, um, which I, I was going to put on and then didn't even make the long list because I decided I really was more interested in John Hall's performance in the film as a whole. Even though I liked the film, it diminished in my memory as I uh, – even I couldn't remember the title just now. So um, <laughs> despite the fact that I really liked the film, I think it, it, it didn't hold my interest the way Blue Ruin did, so it uh, didn't make my list. But All right, I'll throw up another couple here. My number eight pick was uh, The Final Girls. I guess over the years, it's definitely been a trend that there's been a lot of sort of throwback to 70s and 80s horror. But I think explicitly this year, there's been a pronounced increase in the amount of films being made that are just about that. Just like some sort of either spoof or love letter to 80s and 70s horror. The Final Girls is Pleasantville taken to the slasher movie genre because the main characters essentially go through the movie screen into a slasher film and these are all sort of modern young uh, adults who know about sort of horror films and all the all the tropes and all the uh, cliches and everything and also they're from a different world essentially so they can pick up on all the stuff that the actual characters in the film can't pick up on it does it really well like i'll, I'll say this it's kind of weird this film doesn't um it's pg-13 so it doesn't go into the excessive gore or nudity or stuff that's usually needed in films like these to make them kind of interesting. But this film still manages to pull it off. It's got uh, Malin Ackerman in it, who's really, really good. Uh, there's actually a, a really nice emotional kind of thread in this film. Like, there's a there's a bit of a heart to it with the uh, main girl and her mother, played by Malin Ackerman, and there's this nice little story there. I thought it was just really well done. It, it's funny without, again making fun of the genre, like just, you know, laughing at it as being bullshit. Uh, This is kind of like a loving chuckle at certain things. And I highly recommend it to any, especially anyone who like really likes slasher films. I think they'll find a lot to like in this. Next one I'll mention, uh, this is another film that uh, Daniel turned me on to that I probably otherwise wouldn't have watched uh, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this film. This one actually kicked uh, another film off my list uh, this year. And, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think everything I had to say about it, I said in the actual uh, podcast we did on it. But So go back and listen to that. But 
I loved it. Uh, I wish there was more Sandler films like this. I wish there was more interesting films about relationships like this and characters with, you know, mental illness and stuff like that. It it, it definitely has some insight and takes a more uh, nuanced look at relationships, I think, to some, some degree that usually just don't get in comedies. And it's not necessarily comedy. It's more of a drama, but I guess it's kind of was sold as kind of a quirky comedy initially, but um, yeah, punch drunk love. I really loved it. Uh, I'm sure most people who've watched it all years and years ago already sort of have hold that same opinion, but uh, yeah, no, that that's um, if I had, I mean, obviously I'd already seen that film, but uh, if I, if I hadn't, that would have absolutely have been on my list because we did restrict it to films we saw for the first time mm-hmm. this year. You know, punch drunk love is, is a, is a, a masterpiece. And honestly, it's only gotten better. P.T. Anderson, the more I kind of think about his career, the more I kind of think that he is uh, kind of continually ahead of his time by a few years. Mm. Like, uh, you know, it feels like There Will Be Blood seems strangely prescient about certain things, you know, that happened, you know, a couple of years later. And uh, The Master is sort of like things are kind of uh, coming out about that. Like it's uh, people people didn't really like this film when it first came out. I mean, I think that... um, there was a lot of like consternation about how it's kind of weird and it's not what you expected from PT Anderson or Adam Sandler for that matter. Mm-hmm. People kind of admired Sandler for, Oh, you're stretching yourself, but it's just this weird little art film. And, you know, couldn't you have done something that had more meaning behind it? And then like, now I think that at least for me, I would recognize that this is a film that has enormous amounts of, of meaning. And it, I think it was always there. I just think that we had to catch up to, yeah. <laughs> to what the, what the film was trying to say. Um, I love that film, so I'll, I mean, I can talk about it all day long, but I'll list uh, two more, and these have very little to do with one another, but that's what happens when you do an alphabetical list. Yeah. Um, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, yeah. um, which I... Uh, just one of the most fun films I watched this year, um, no question. It's on Netflix. I had known about it for a few years. I'd never sat down and watched it. When it was available, I went, click, I'm totally going to sit and watch this. Just so much fun. Um, some really great performances, some really great action scenes, um, car chase sequences. More meaning to it than I think you would necessarily think it's going to have. I mean, it, yeah. it really it digs in deep with these characters, and um, it's effective all the way to the end, which I think was the the part that surprised me is how they, they did manage to make the kind of the final 20 minutes dramatically moving and uh, like kind of on a character basis and just on an action basis. Like it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel like, Oh, and then we just had a bunch of action, meaningless action at the end. I mean, it really, it all fits together really nicely. And I know you watched that one for the first time this year as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I was just going to say that one barely, uh, barely fell out of my honorable mentions list just because I didn't want to, bloat it too much yeah that that was really good uh i love vic morrow as the uh sheriff and he was doing a lot of character work at this point so that that's one of his better uh sort of latter day roles and yeah peter fonda uh susan george looking super fucking hot and being amazing like i mean she, she's legitimately really really good in the film i mean I, I think it would be easy to just be like well she's super hot and of course no she's great in this um so yeah, total, totally worth. Um, again, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. It's great. Yep, definitely. Um, the, uh, and then the next film, Ex Machina, which uh, I uh, really, really enjoyed. This is one of the better films about artificial intelligence I think I've, I've seen in a long time. And that's a lot to say about kind of where technology is. Um, it's also, um, it's a small film. I mean, they're really only like, I think, four actors or five yeah. actors in the entire film. This is uh, from last year, I mean, or from 2015. So um, again, 
uh, one of only a couple films on my list that's actually made this year. I think uh, I think it's kind of been overlooked from for some other films. I think that it, I haven't seen it get as much love as I think it deserves, and I think it, it has a lot to say about kind of the you know kind of Silicon Valley culture and you know the the kind of role of technology and a lot about you know the way that a lot of this a lot of these people treat women as well. Um, and it has this kind of philosophical thing about about artificial intelligence and what does it mean to really be um, to really have artificial intelligence. So um, worth your time, and I won't say anything more about it because I think the less you know about it going in, the the better. You know, so. Yeah, cool. I haven't watched that yet. I'm I'm going to get around to it. I'll throw a couple more out there then. Uh, number six this is one I just recently watched, and this is one of the ones that bullied itself onto the list. Uh, the Hateful Eight. I thought it was fucking great. I loved the sort of audacity of it. I, I sort of love Tarantino thumbing his nose at his critics to some degree here, basically doing all the things that he's accused of doing all the time and basically throwing it, throwing it in their faces. Uh, again, I, I, I hope for a news report of Spike Lee's head exploding at some point. Uh, it, it, that would be great. And it's really enjoyable. Again, I don't know if this is his best one. I've watched it twice now. I've enjoyed it both times. I don't think I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it, but I enjoyed it just as much. If anything, the movie kind of maybe meanders a little bit and doesn't quite have uh, as much of a point as some of his other films did, I think. The performances are great. The buildup is great. It does not feel like a three-hour movie to me. It did not feel feel overlong. And, I mean, that's one of the best things you can say about a three-hour movie when it doesn't feel like a three-hour movie to you. So. Yeah. Highly recommended. I would say people go out and watch it. Uh, I know it kind of fell by the wayside of uh, Star Wars. Came, sort of came out on a sort of came out in a bad time, but um, it's definitely worth trying out. And I mean, right now Star Wars is sucking up all the crowds. This is like probably the best time to go to the theater and see the movies you really want to see because no one's watching them. <laughs> right, yeah, it, it'll be, um, I, I, I do hope to see that in the theater um, before it leaves, and uh, I've got an Alamo in town, and I'm, I'm sure they're going to they're gonna play it for a while, so I, I'm sure I'm going to get the chance to go see it at some point uh, here in the next couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't see it this year, because then it would have been in competition with my favorite film of the year, and then, uh, I mean, not that, I mean, I'm not trying to prejudge it, but I, I, I feel certain from the commentary I've seen that it would have been, and uh, competition for my favorite from the year. I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision about which one was my favorite. The other one, Nightcrawler, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I I sort of just based this almost totally on his performance and such a successful psychopathic character, well, sociopathic character, essentially. And I just loved his performance. I thought it was the best thing I've ever seen him do. I liked everything that sort of circled around him. I like how he manipulated different people. I like the sort of bit part that uh, Bill Paxton plays in this film as a scumbag uh, rival. And I just enjoyed everything this character goes through, all the all the stuff he does, all the all the scumbaggery he does, yet at the same time you root for him. You find yourself rooting for him, even though he's just a totally deplorable piece of shit at the same time. And then yeah, it, it just stuck with me. It was one that I watched I've watched a couple times now, still on Netflix. Uh, I've rewatched it several times. So I've enjoyed it and so it deserves a place on the list. And I think the standout thing, of course, is Joan Hall's performance, though. Like, just he, the way he brings that character to life is amazing and great, great film. Again, I, I, I enjoy that film. I just decided I couldn't put both that and Blue Ruin on the list. And uh, I thought Blue Ruin was a better film. And, it, and, it, and it's not even, I mean, I kind of shit on it a little bit earlier, but I, I didn't. It's not, it's a great film. It's better than a lot of the other films on my list. 
but it's uh, I tried to I tried to make this list kind of judge a film for what it's trying to do, and I think Nightcrawler is really swinging for the fences, which I love, but I don't think it quite connects for me in quite the way it wants to. I think it's just a little bit too detached. But Hall's great, and I think uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes out of that filmmaker. You're going to like my next choice, I think. Uh, All right. Just, just Before Dawn. Cool. Um, my favorite of the uh, slasher films we saw. Um, yeah. You could probably talk much more eloquently about this than I could, but I think this is just a really, really effective you know, slasher film. Uh, I think it's got some really interesting characters. I mean, you know, it, it's it's kind of... It's got the kind of big and dumb and full of cum moments, and um, but it but it's also um, I think there's some real thematic stuff going on, and uh, I think it's just it it just it works better than just about any other film of the genre that we um, covered um, for me. You know, I, I really really enjoyed this film, and I you know it's also kind of one of those where I didn't expect much going into it. I'm just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, I mean, it'll be a slasher film, it'll be fun, like it'll be whatever. Um, but it really it stuck with me more than I thought it would. It, it really kind of. Um, made itself uh, memorable for me. So I think I think that one I think the biggest thing of that one is uh take away the sort of surprise about the killers and all the other stuff. I think the biggest thing about that one is that it really does sort of dig a little bit deeper into the whole sort of final girl idea. Like it it, it plays with it a lot more effectively than a lot of films do. Uh, psychologically I think it has a bit more to say about about that role of like the final girl that's just sort of like a to some degree, a lot of people just look at it as sort of a cliched trope in a lot of these films. I think that one kind of makes a point of making it really important to the actual psychological uh, bent of the characters by the end of the film. So, right. I also think there's like a sociological dimension, and I mentioned this in our original review. But I mean, the idea that there is this like community of people that's essentially shielding these guys mm-hmm. and the idea that you're beyond the, the, the place where like civilization can reach you. And what does that mean? What does civilization mean anyway? And, um, you know, kind of, I, I wish that was more prominent in the film. I wish that there was kind of more going on about that, but I think it's there. And I think it really adds a, um, a thoughtful dimension. Um, in addition to all the other stuff that, that we've praised about the film, it's, it's, a uh, it was one of the most pleasant surprises for me was uh, just before dawn. So uh, yeah. the next film that I have is my favorite film of the year. And I don't think this is going to be any surprise to anybody. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I, I saw this twice theatrically. They are, there are rumors. They're going to do a, a black and white cut of this and re-release yeah. it in the theaters. And um, if I can spare the money, I will do it again. I would love to go see this in black and white on a big screen again. This is phenomenal. It's, there's a reason it's making a lot of people's, uh, top, you know, literally like uh, some film critics associations are calling this the best film of the year. Um, I, I think it's uh, just the, the idea that you've got a 70-year-old director, you know, who's who's uh, been around the block uh, <laughs> made some really, I mean, just the production history of this film. Like, it was going to be animated for a while, you know, mm-hmm. like he, because he did all those CGI animated films. And uh, this this is much more interesting again it works as just a pure action film, as just pure chase film. Um, it works as character drama. Mm-hmm. It works as kind of a post-apocalyptic society, and it works on on kind of a political level. I, I think that yep. it's uh, it's one of the richest films that I've seen. I mean, not just this year; it's one of the richest films I've seen in a long time. Um, in terms of in the fact that it's a you know a hundred million dollar <laughs> budget, you know, huge um, action film, and the fact that it's it's that effective is is really amazing. Um, yeah, it so. it doesn't it doesn't push you in any any specific direction. It, it lets the viewer take what they want to take from it, what they want to find in it, which is 
uh, a great quality in a film that big. You usually don't see that in films that big at all, especially action films that big. But this one, it, it just fuck. I'll just uh, say right away, like that's my number four on my list. So I'll, I'll just get right into it. Continue the discussion here. I I haven't seen uh, an action film that good in so long. Like I can't remember, like especially like a new period action film, like something made in the last 20, 30 years even. It's just amazing. They, they, they went out of their way to outdo themselves, and they did it. I think Tom Hardy does a good job. Uh, I, I'm glad that they sort of kept Mad Max as a character in the background in this one, where he in, ends up having to regain his humanity after being disconnected from it for so long. I liked uh, Furiosa. I liked her quest make allusions towards fundamentalist religion and terrorism and cult within the uh, society that's presented. You know, the, the whole sort of death cult mentality and the Valhalla and all that stuff. Uh, it's just great. And then, of course, it's got all the elements of the classic uh, Mad Max films. It's got the great chase scenes. It's got the outrageous characters. It's got all the Australian slang intact and all that great stuff. And it's just fun as fuck. It's uh, if there's, if you don't even take anything else away from it on a deep level, uh, just the fact that it's a fun, enjoyable kick-ass fucking action movie and that it still is the best movie of the year for a lot of people just on that basis alone. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's one of those that, Again, it does so many things at once, and it does it all well. And and again, this is a film that, I mean, this is a you know, we haven't seen a Mad Max film in, in thirty years. You know what I mean? Like, this could have been a disaster. And yeah. all of the when I first was seeing people talk about this film, I mean, in the nineties, when there were like rumors like, oh, there's going to be this thing called Fury Road by George Miller, and I'm like, oh god, that's going to be so stupid, you know? And uh, <laughs> You know the 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 long production history and the uh, all the different drafts and I mean it really is just like it it's one of those pieces of magic that like the fact that this worked and the fact that it works that well is just what skyrockets it to the top of my list because this was a big swing and it could have been a big miss but it wasn't it just connected on almost every possible level like I I cannot say enough good things about this film mm-hmm. it's it's amazing and I was I was honestly scared that it was going to end up starring Vin Diesel and it was going to be called Too Fast Too Fury Road or something like that <laughs> fucking bullshit man but no it it was so refreshing that it wasn't any of that <laughs> it, it, Mad Max Fury Road with a 4 instead of <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I mean, practical effects for the most part, practical stunt work for the most part, like 80% of it was all on screen, what you're actually seeing. The, the CGI was all just window dressing and sort of brightening up some spots, basically. So I mean, it's basically like, you know, the, the way that they shot a lot of it was they basically, so they had a, a digital camera, mm-hmm. so you're not using film, so you don't, you don't have like a six-minute mag anymore. You can sit and you can just record you can yep. just basically turn the camera on you're not spending any film you can you can just record for an hour until the the memory card is full essentially mm-hmm. so you basically what they do is they just kind of set the thing down they go drive and then they would just try to do the shot and then when they had the shot they're like okay we're done it's really one of those things that like this is what digital filmmaking allows you to do you know mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the phantom menace it doesn't you know, like <laughs> You know, and this is kind of where when people say like, "Oh, well, film and digital," and I mean, I get the arguments, and I don't want to get into the debate, but the tool is there. You know, it, it's also with the artist using the tool, yeah. not the tool that makes the artist. You know what I mean? So, so um, 
I feel like that a lot of that conversation kind of loses that aspect that like this film was shot on digital and it's probably a better film because it was shot on digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the ability to uh, just kind of edit your uh, backgrounds in and just sort of, you know, use CGI in that way means you have a real effect, a real stunt that is actually effective and looks real, but you didn't have to reset the shot every three minutes just because you, you made a mistake or whatever. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an enormous piece of work. And I, I hope that other filmmakers will learn some of the lessons that uh, the George Miller taught them again. What's funny is I had two trick car chase movies on my list this year. I didn't even think yeah. about that until just now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll throw one more out there. Uh, this is one actually, and now that I think about it, this is one that, uh, would have been eliminated off my list if I had uh, been given the uh, Leo Di- Leonardo DiCaprio Guy Pierce question uh, from you instead. Um, Revenant, which I just watched this week, and I quite loved it. It's essentially a revenge film set in, I, be- I believe it's like the 1840s, I think is the period. Leonardo DiCaprio is this trapper. It's based on a real story of like a real frontiersman and of course, that real story in quotations, you know, because most of these guys lied their heads off and built up their own legends in the Old West. Essentially, the Old West is America's Greek mythology to some degree, right? Because a lot of it is tall tales and bullshit. But this is a hell of a story. Uh, it's it's a good revenge story. Uh, this trapper is left for dead by his comrades as they're fleeing from an Indian attack. Uh, he is attacked by a bear, so that's why he's left for dead, essentially. Man, the bear attack in this film is fucking stunning. Like, coming from a guy who watches a lot of horror movies and stuff, I found this bear attack stomach-churning. And it's not even necessarily gory or anything. It's just the brutality of it. It it actually seriously made me look away a couple times. That was how intense it was. And it's all CGI with the bear. Best CGI I've seen in, well, pretty much the best CGI I've seen in a film. Uh, it looks like a real bear, acts like a real bear. You can't tell the difference, really. And it, and it's actually the bear playing with physical stunt work with Leonardo DiCaprio on screen. You, you see him basically being sw- swung around. They did use it with wires and stuff, swung him around the fucking woods like he's being thrown around by a bear. That's awesome. Yeah, I, just, I've heard I've heard nice things about this. I, I haven't uh, like dug into it at all, but, I, you know, it's it's... Um, yeah, it, it's on my list to, to check out, especially with your recommendation. Um, I've yeah, heard nice it's, things. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, so we'll throw back to you then, Dan. Um, I'm just going to uh, finish off my last three, I mm-hmm. guess, because um, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't cut one of these out. Um, if I had to cut one out, the next one is the one I would have cut out. But uh, I did one that included Jalo and uh, Torso. Uh, was uh, my favorite Jalo of the year. I know it's kind of uh, definitely infected with that slasher DNA a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with this film. It's it's the uh, it's definitely uh, I liked the characters. I liked the the kind of mystery aspect. I thought there was some really interesting stuff going on thematically. And I don't really have I don't really have anything more to say than that except like I I enjoyed the film. And then the next one is uh, my favorite of the sex comedies, which was Van Nuys Boulevard. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, uh, one of yours. And, uh, you know, I, I almost went with Beach Girls, but uh, Van Nuys Boulevard is definitely the better film. Uh, definitely that uh, that very particular place in time, that culture that was kind of happening at the time. Um, some of the, uh, you know, the plotting is uh, kind of a little like, okay, whatever. But um, it's, uh, 
it, it knows its characters, it knows its setting, it knows its world, and it portrays it really effectively. Um, and it's got cooch, so you, and it's you got cooch. So <laughs> what else are you gonna say? Uh, it, it, very, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of, uh, yeah. and it's interesting. I mean, it, it, you know, I find that that increasingly what I look for in stories, and and um, this will play into my my the last film I'm gonna mention, but I find that increasingly what I look for not just in movies but in television, what I really value is, you know character and theme and an idea. I really want, if I'm going to sit down and watch something, I want it to have an idea and I want it to explore that idea. I don't want it to just be, okay, it's a genre, just a, just a bunch of like verbal masturbation. I don't want to mm-hmm. feel like it, it has to be just that. Um, I want it to really kind of engage me and make me think about something interesting. And, um, you know, I think Torso and Van Nuys Boulevard are both films that like work within their genre but also kind of give us something more. I mean, it's not just, you know, you know, a bunch of titties flashing on screen um, or, uh, you know, a bunch of people getting stabbed. I mean, there's, there's some more thematic elements going on. And um, that plays into um, the last one I mentioned, uh, the world, the flesh and the devil, Sweet. Um, uh, which I, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's, uh, again, um, you and I were kind of talking offline about episodes that we really liked doing and kind of uh, ones that we recommend. And I think that was one of our most interesting episodes um, and and a, a really interesting film. I really just just it um, it deserves to be seen, and I I'm just glad I kind of ran across it in a, in an article and went, uh, well, this sounds like something I'd like to watch. And if I uh, tell Lee to put it on the podcast, then I'll have an excuse to sit and watch it. So um, uh, this is a uh, Harry Belafonte, and um, you know basically three three characters in the entire film. Yeah. Um, post-apocalyptic. You know, it's it's almost the opposite of Mad Max Fury Road because Mad Max yeah. Fury Road is about the uh, incredibly unrealistic uh, apocalypse where, you know, there's biker gangs, uh, you know, taking over the world and seemingly never run out of gasoline or bullets. So, okay, <laughs> you know, the, whatever. I mean, I guess they had a stockpile. I, you know, I'm Daniel, just, they yeah. had bullet town. It's where they made <laughs> the bullets. <laughs> you just accept the logic. You just <laughs> kind of go with it. And the world of flesh and the devil is very much like it. it's still, it's not any more realistic than Mad Max Fury Road. But this is all about like, okay, let's talk about how these three individuals are going to interact now that the structures of society don't exist anymore. You know, yeah. you know. So, so it is. It, the, you know, in a weird way, they're kind of like uh, they're paired in my mind in this in this kind of. Uh, you know, there are lots of different ways to do post-apocalypse, um, and uh, I think both of those films are really interesting in terms of exploring that. If there's one film that I think people just don't have on their radar that they should see from this list. It is the World of Flesh and the Devil. I think it's. Uh, Really interesting. Nice. That's a great pick. I'm actually kind of sad I didn't actually put it in my honorable mentions now that, you, now that I think about it. <laughs> I think we both ran into that because I was listening to yours and I'm like, oh, I should have included that. Come on. What's going on? Yeah. All right. So I'll just throw off my last two here. Uh, my number two is It Follows. A lot of people are, you know, there's a bit of a backlash to this film now. Oh, overhyped horror movie of the year or whatever. I say, fuck that. It's great. Uh, it's got a at least semi-original premise for it but at the same time sort of echoes back to more 80s-style filmmaking. Uh, it's got a great score that sort of echoes Carpenter, but it's not all about just paying homage to shit. It's actually got some interesting ideas. The idea that having sex will kill you is not a new one in horror, but the way it's presented in this film and uh, the responsibility of young teenagers having sex and what that actually entails is put forth in a much more interesting metaphor, I think, in this film, presented in the form of sort of a curse that follows you. Uh, 
and if you pass it on to someone else, then uh, you can shake that curse, but eventually it will come back to you at some point. And it, it's just great. It's uh, it's just really well done. Kind of minimalist in the way it's presented. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like it's from any specific period, really, the way it's presented. Uh, so it's got a bit of a timeless quality to it. I think it. I think the kids are believable because they are stupid teenagers, but they're not your typical stupid teenagers that you see in horror movies. These are believably stupid teenagers, just because they're you know they're kind of immature and they're not worldly yet in any sort of way. So the decisions they make are realistic. They feel organic in how they deal with this monstrosity that is following them that can look uh, like anyone. Uh, especially people you know and love, and it's just coming at you at a snail's pace, kind of. It just walks, but it is coming, and it's always in the distance, and it could be anybody. And the tension that this film builds, the suspense that this film builds is absolutely amazing. There's a couple particular jump scares in this that are not cheap. They work very well. I was just, I was really, really impressed with the way this film was uh, put together, and uh, I say fuck anyone who uh, is, you know, going on the backlash bandwagon for this one, saying, ah, it's overhyped. No, it's not. It's a great horror movie, and it's my favorite horror movie of the year. Now I need to see on. it. I, have, I haven't seen it, but I, it's it's kind of on my radar. I, I definitely I, – I'm interested in the themes, if nothing else, so I yeah. definitely have to get that scene. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's a lot deeper than it even comes of, comes off as. Like I said, it's like presented in a very minimalist way, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in that film, so – uh, definitely worth checking out. And my favorite movie, and this was after some deliberation because originally it was going to be Mad Max Fury Road, but I have to go to this quirky little film I watched this year that I kind of really fell in love with, and it's kind of a it's kind of a throwback film as well to a certain degree. It definitely owes a lot from the Mad Max series. It's called Turbo Kid. It it does everything uh, that Kung Fury wanted to do but it does it correctly. It doesn't go overboard in any way. It's very charming. It's very nice. It's a sort of a post-apocalyptic film. If the apocalypse happened in the 1980s, it, it definitely has allusions to like comic books, BMX bikes, power gloves, stuff like that. Like all that stuff is sort of present in the way the film's presented, but it comes off more um, organic than it does cute and knowing. I enjoyed the characters. I liked the story. And it's just, it's it's hard to explain without, you know, giving away too much, but it is really charming. And I, you know, it's, it's definitely one that actually garnered like emotional responses from me and made me smile watching it. And it, it's the kind of, it's the kind of homage film that I really want to see. Like it, it's, it's not one that feels like it missed any opportunities. And also it's a lot of fun too. It's just got uh, an interesting bad guy in it. Uh, the main bad guy is Michael Ironside, but his Lieutenant is like one of the best sort of masked killers I've ever seen in the film. Uh, there's a lot of gore in the film as well, but at the same time it's a low budget film. So it's got a sort of over top, over the top sort of gore effects and stuff like that, that, um, you know, it it just sort of was really endearing to me. So uh, I don't know. People might uh, shit on me for picking this one for my sort of top film of the of the of the year um, and top film I, I watched this year. But I really liked it. I always think your favorites are the. Uh, that's a personal choice. You know, mm-hmm. it's always it's always like number one is like this is the one that meant something to me. Like even if even if everything else is like I, I have like 
legitimate like critical reasons for this. Your number one is like this moved me more than anything else I saw this year, which is uh, a perfectly legitimate choice. Like I don't have any. If there's ever a year that I go the entire year and don't have a like one film that just moved me more than anything, then it's probably not a very good year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's that's true of any any kind of artistic. It's you know everybody has their favorite Beatles song. You know what I mean? Like and it's. Yeah, you know it's it's the one that you lo- it's the one that you love the most, and that's you know, and that that almost transcends the kind of critical impulse. You know, it's just I love it, and there it's therefore it's my favorite. Yeah. Um, certainly, Mad Max was that for me. You know, it was just this. This is I knew the first time I saw it. I knew almost like half an hour into that film. This is my favorite film. Year, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It just kind of just kind of landed on that. Like obviously, this is going to be my favorite film of the year. Um, it's great. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think overall it was actually really, uh, it was actually a really fucking good year just for films released this year. Honestly, um, yeah, I, I mean, I I only have two on my list. I just didn't see that many films released this mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, I I have I have only have two, but they're both amazing films um, from this year. And um, I do actually have one from this year that's on my biggest disappointment list, and uh, yeah, we'll get to that here in a minute. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just jump into our disappointments here, so we can sort of wrap up. So, uh, if, if you want to just go basically through your uh, stuff that was disappointing to you this year, uh, go okay. right ahead. Well, let's uh, since I mentioned it already, I'll mention. Uh, I saw the Pixar movie Inside Out this year. Okay. Which is the uh, the film kind of about basically a young girl going through depression and you know that sort of thing. I. I think that the Disney buyout of Pixar has, has softened their edge a, a little bit. I saw some people who I respect talking about this as one of the best films they'd ever seen uh, dealing with this issue. And I was really expecting it to just hit me and like twist home. And it really didn't. It was, it, it's an effective film. It's, it's a little bit too married to the, to the plot. It's a little bit too married to its the kind of uh, chase structure and the, the kind of the, like, we're, we're going to follow the MacGuffin and, uh, it doesn't quite have the heart I want it to. And it's not, it's not that it's a bad film. Again, it's better than half the stuff on my list. Really. If you look at it objectively and critically, but it was a disappointment for me. So um, I'm putting it on this list here. I'll just go. uh, I didn't put this in alphabetical order, but um, hell of the living dead. Um, This wasn't (laughs) a disappointment, but um, I I could not, not put this on my list. Um, With the, uh, that was my, that was probably my, the most fun I had on this podcast this year. Yeah. Yeah. Ranting about that film. Um, I have pointed people to that episode and said, I like had a time code and I'm like, just if you don't listen to the whole episode, just listen to this like 10 minute stretch because it was, um, that's me ranting Let about the hate flow through, through you. Yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, and it's not even like, it's just so like, it, it's this combination of like horrifying racism and total incompetence that just yeah. kind of like <laughs> made this just really, I mean, if it was just dumb and racist, but like, I mean, it's just every, it fails on so many levels. It just kind of uh, lost me completely. Uh, another uh, kind of disappointment, uh, Down Three Dark Streets. I mentioned this um, uh, on one of our episodes a little while back. Um, this is a film that I kind of, uh, it's uh, it's on Netflix, and I thought it was going to be kind of a cool little noir picture oh, of the yeah, yeah. 50s. And then it ended up being a basically a um, blowjob to J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, this was not the, the film I thought, I, you know, it's it's a, I think even at the time it was sort of seen as, is a little bit of a uh, kind of a stayed throwback, um, which is weird in, to say that for a film made in, you know, the early fifties. It's it don't, I mean, it's, it's like an hour and 15 minutes long or something, but it's, 
it's just kind of dull. it's interesting as a historical piece i guess but but really not as anything else it has no dramatic tension at all um for a modern audience i mean it an episode of law and order is better than this you know <laughs> um iron sky um which i didn't actually uh. see the entire film but i had uh you know all the all the things that we say about kung fury i, I watched like i think the first 40 minutes of this and, you know i'm i'm kind of on that like once i started i'm probably going to finish it just to okay i finished it i can kind of check that off my like i saw that box Shana's like we cannot keep watching why are you still watching this so um, i i you know placating my wife and just kind of like you know what i i really I, i've gotten my opinion on this already so i, I watched i think the first like 45 minutes right about the time they land on earth I know that this is a film where the um, the gleeful excess is the point of it, and mm-hmm. like I was totally down with gleeful excess, but it's also gleeful excess and dumb. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it needs to be clever in the way that it deploys some of this, and um, the way that it's it's it has a lot of the same issues that I think Idiocracy does, um, which is a film where I really want to like Idiocracy, and I kind of like moments of Idiocracy. But it's also just, it's ultimately a film that is making fun of, it's punching down, you know, yeah, in a yeah. way that, um, and Iron Sky doesn't quite do that, but it's, it's, it was just kind of like, all right, I get the point. Uh, if this had been 30 minutes long, I would have enjoyed it more. I, and, um, I fucking hate Iron Sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, 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 uh, I feel bad for not at least watching it to the end, but it was just, it's just, it's just, it's too broad, it's too dumb. Well, um, it, 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 it does. It, I was just gonna say, sorry. It, it does what those fucking Sharknados film films do. It does the exact same kind of thing, where it's like, look how look how bad and dumb we are. Look how bad and right. dumb we are, and they gleefully throw it in your face. And then it's like, fuck off. Just get in with. I it. mean, I mean, the concept of like there are Nazis on the far side of the moon. You know, there's like a Nazi uh, moon base mm-hmm. in the present day, and like you know, um, the idea of kind of doing this satire of. Uh, American imperialism and American military might and like uh, combating it with space Nazis. That's a really like, I love that idea. Like, let's do it. And the idea of kind of doing it big and dumb and kind of saying, oh, let's have, uh, <laughs> you know, let's, let's have dinosaurs in this or whatever. Like, like <laughs> the idea of like pushing it to that degree, I'm fine with, but you really needed like an incisive satirist edge in order to really make that mm-hmm. sing. And I feel like it's it's a it's a film that's made by smart people, but for dumb people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, and um, wasted potential is one of those things that I really like. It, it really it's it's offensive to me when you have like a really good idea and then execute it poorly. It's just like oh, because now nobody else gets to use that idea. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, the 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 last one, my uh, probably. I want to say biggest disappointment because I kind of knew this going in, but but I had no idea how disappointing it this was going to be was a uh, killing them softly. Um, oh yeah. Which God, is, yeah, which is uh, I mean, again, such a, such an interesting concept and then just so executed badly. Like there's just, there's too much good about this film for the film to be that bad. Um, and it, it just is, it's just pointless. It's an hour and 37 minutes long or something. And man, do you feel every one of those hour and 37 it's minutes? Like a- it's like a fucking Tarantino film where everyone fucking took Quaaludes and just... Well, it's a Tarantino film without the cleverness, without the kind of yeah. the, the, the narrative cleverness, but also without the the grit, without the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the lived-in feeling of it, and without the thematic complexity. I mean, you know, it's... it's um, it actually suffers... I'm, I'm sorry to keep coming back to it. 
it suffers from a lot of the same problems the timber did where they're both films that kind of have this very straightforward genre narrative which you then just kind of shoved this uh faux um eloquent pretension up its ass and expected Mm -hmm. it to to work as a film and um i mean in a way killing them softly is even worse than the timber because the timber at least knows it's just kind of a dumb genre film, and they're they you know, just killing them softly. I mean, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is a brilliant film. Yeah, and the fact that this is the same director and the like it's just it it blows my mind because everything that the assassination of Jesse James gets right, this film gets very very wrong, and it's it's just sort of um, wow. Yeah, Brad Pitt just basically. Sleeping through the fucking entire film. I mean, I mean, everybody except for yeah. uh, James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini's giving it his all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, there are some great, again, great performances in it, and there's some, you know, it's just like the the sum is less than the whole of it, or the whole is less than the sum of its parts. You know, like in, yeah. in that kind of situation. Fuck, fucking Ray Liotta. I, I, I could, I could die happy never seeing him do another fucking mafia role. I mean, at yeah. this point, it's just so fucking played out. It's, it's Beyond stupid, but yeah, yeah. I I I totally I, I totally agree. Killing them softly uh, that is terrible, terrible shit. Um, yeah, I, I've only like I said, like I was telling you, I, I sort of got lucky where I sort of I sort of tried to steer steer clear of stuff. I'm probably pretty sure I'm going to hate, which is probably in some ways probably a wrong way of going. But movies you're supposed to have an open mind to some stuff, but. You know, you only got so much time in your hands, so you got. There's 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 too much good stuff that you think you're gonna like, and I mean, like if you tell me, Lee, like you know what I like and don't like, Mm -hmm. and you know, like okay, there's some movie, there's some horror movie that you recommend that like I'm not necessarily into that genre, I wouldn't pull it out for myself. But if Lee says, you know what, I think you're gonna like this, I'll sit down and watch it. But I'm not gonna sit down and like watch a bunch of bad horror movies because I'm just like I just I there's not enough good, there's not enough signal to the noise for me. Whereas you'll sit down and watch the bad horror movies and then find the one because you get enough pleasure out of the genre. You know, yeah. so I feel like there is that kind of difference. And we all, I mean, we all do that to some degree. I mean, who literally just like puts a random number generator out there and says, that's the movie I'm going to watch today. I mean, you know, <laughs> like we all pick and choose. I mean, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess, I guess probably this the biggest disappointment for, for me. And I don't even know if it's a major disappointment because I was actually kind of expecting it maybe not to be all that good. Was probably Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. It, I mean, it, it just sort of dropped the ball on everything. It just kind of rushed everything that was built up in the previous uh, Marvel films, and it, you know, and it is sort of the stopgap between the first phase and the second phase of Marvel films. So, to some degree, it's understandable, but at the same time, it's lazy, and I find it kind of, kind of find kind of find it insulting that they would do that. Like they, because they just they know the big big time fans are going to watch everything that they throw at them. They're just going to eat it the fuck up. So they just dogged it on this film. I feel like, and it was a lot of wasted potential. There were some subplots in it that I felt were unneeded. Uh, I don't need to see the fucking Hulk and uh, black widow get into a relationship. I just don't care. I just thought it was all stupid and boring and there just wasn't enough exciting stuff. They were too interested in getting those, you know, 360 shots of the team frozen uh, going around them. Oh, look how look how this looks like a splash page on a comic book. Why don't you actually make a comic book movie instead of showing me one panel from a fucking comic book, you fucking assholes. Uh, just get on with it already. 
And it's like they just wrapped up that whole Hydra subplot that had been like an ongoing thing, I think, in like the Shield TV series and everything for like months and months. And they just, you know, ah, it's nothing. Forget it. And I just, I got tired of it. I just didn't, I was like, I had to stop it and come back to it. It was just so boring to me. So, What's what's funny is uh, I didn't see it this year. Uh, I I saw Mad Max Fury Road twice instead of seeing the Avengers two. Good uh, choice. I I will I will probably see it at some point if it, it when it shows up on Netflix I'll 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 give it a look. But I don't know the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe and I've been a defender of the of the MCU on this podcast, but mm-hmm. I do think that it's starting to get too big for its own continued good unless they're really going to start like pumping new ideas into this, yeah. and it really feels like at least from kind of listening to the behind the scenes stuff that they're increasingly kind of trying to put such a firm, this is the formula we're using for the films um, that like people like Edgar Wright, you know, basically just left it because he's like, I can't, or Ant-Man, he left Ant-Man because yeah. they wouldn't let him do something clever and interesting because they need it to be this huge temple picture. Whereas it probably would have done better had they just let him do what he wanted to do. And, um, I, I do think that, I mean, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy just kind of becomes like that last bastion of like the clever MCU films. And I mean, they still make money. I mean, whatever, go, go make your money. But I, I do think I, if I was, if I was uh, a betting man, I think that the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to start, basically it's, it's never going to reach the heights that it did with like the Avengers and, um, and the Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, a couple well, others. The, all, both all the, the Captain America movies, you know, at least the, the second one. I know you like that one better than the Winter first. Soldier, yeah, I love Winter Soldier. But uh, everything is the Netflix series are the ones to look at for the whole Marvel sort of universe now because that's where all the interesting shit's going on with Jessica Jones and fucking Daredevil at this point. So Yeah, I haven't seen Daredevil yet, but Jessica Jones was amazing. I mean, we, yeah. we uh, I mean, Shannon and I have been talking about that for a while now, so... Best, uh, the best villains in the whole uh, universe right now are in Jessica Jones and Daredevil. Like, there, there's no really good villains I mean, in the cinematic universe. Can you imagine? I mean, even Loki. Imagine Kilgrave versus Loki. Loki's yeah. dead. Like, there's no question. Um, and despite the fact that Loki basically has the same power, you know, it's like I can control your mind. No, Kilgrave's gonna fuck you up, man. Like, just deal with yep. it. You know. Yep. Yeah, so uh, that, and the only other one I want to mention real quick is uh, Dark Was the Night. And this is a movie I actually enjoyed. Like, the only disappointment was the ending, which there's an ending shot in this that just derails the entire fucking film and destroys all the goodwill this film was building for me because this is a really nice sort of gritty throwback kind of horror film. uh, And it's got great drama in it. The main characters are characters I cared about. I wanted to see them be successful I wanted to see them piece their lives back together because these are all sort of like damaged characters who had their lives thrown into chaos before the events of the film even start. And it just, I still like the film, but uh, you, you got to end the film before the final shot. You, you got to, <laughs> you basically got to stop it at the sort of like happy ending, I guess, before the final shot where it just, oh, fuck you. I watched the final shot and I was like, I just, I actually said out loud to the movie, fuck you. Really? You had to do that. That's so cheap. And I'm not going to give it away in case anyone wants to actually watch it. I mean, it's not a major... I mean, I guess technically it's still open-ended to uh, what the ending is. But uh, it's basically a fuck you to the viewer, I I felt. And it was unneeded. And 
it just kind of disappointed me. I mean, if that is, it hadn't had that ending, it would have been on my honorable mentions, but it got kicked off the list because of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, you know, when we talk about, like, disappointments, it's always like, well, you know, like, I don't know, Bay of Blood, you know, didn't make my, I mean, I kind of like that film, but it, it did because I didn't really have high expectations going into it. I'm like, okay, this is going to be in mm-hmm. it. And it actually rose above my expectations. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, again, it, it is interesting how like the some of the films on my on my disappointment list were technically better than a lot of the ones on my best list. But just because of, uh, I think it's more interesting to look at to view these films in terms of what they're trying to do, rather than like try to pretend like there's some objective criteria that we can apply. You know, this film has seventy eight point two quality units, well as that one has sixty four point two, and therefore, you know, so yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess we're uh, pretty much done. We're kind of wrapping up here. So um, unless you got anything else you want to say, Daniel, uh, tell us about your Doctor Who podcast. If you listen to our Mel Brooks episode a few weeks ago, you heard my wife. Um, she and I do a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, we do classic and new series. We're walking through uh, Peter Davison years right now. I think Lee's going to come back on here in a, in a few weeks, and we're going to mm-hmm. um, have some uh, have a nice conversation. Uh, I actually have a special guest um, at the uh, probably about the time that this uh, episode goes out. We'll be recording uh, with uh, probably the um, most famous or kind of the, one of the big names in Doctor Who criticism and, and online is a guy named Phil Sandifer, and he's coming on our podcast um, this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about Modern Undead, which is a Fifth Doctor story, and we're probably going to argue about Stephen Moffat. I can only <laughs> because he's a, he's a big Stephen Moffat defender. Uh, so uh, we're probably going to have that conversation. So this is going to be uh, an interesting time. I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but it, uh, so stay tuned for the train wreck. If you're if you're only going to listen to one, um, also um, just as long as we're talking about Jessica Jones, uh, Shane and I did a, a whole episode about the Jessica Jones, um, kind of a special bonus thing a couple of weeks back. So um, uh, if you uh, are a fan of that TV show or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you should uh, check us out on that one and. Um, I do think that the uh, the future of our podcast is going to be we're going to do more stuff that isn't Doctor Who. I think that's kind of where we're going in 2016. But you can find that. It's called Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story, and you can find it at oispaceman.lipson.com. That's oispaceman, all one word, .lipson.com. Right on. You can find all our stuff on the trailer. Uh, at the end of this, we'll tell you where to go. We're on iTunes. Look us up. They must be destroyed on site on iTunes. You can find the link on our Podbean site. It's the little swirly hypno wheel that entices you to click and leave us a five-star rating and a review do it come on uh, we want to get uh, this out to more people we definitely want questions and comments what were your favorite fucking films of the last year please send your lists in we'd be we'd love to uh, get them and read them online and discuss them so and what's your favorite they must be destroyed on site episode because that's that's an interesting like what do you like to see us cover and what was fun for you to listen to while we uh, what we covered so that's that's yeah. another kind of question yeah, that's definitely yeah, cool. And uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to go for music. Um, I, I'm thinking we're going to pick two songs, and I think it's probably something from the soundtracks uh, of our two number one picks. So, all right, yeah, so I'll, I'll find something from Mad Max, and I'll find something from Turbo Kid, and I'll jam them in there somewhere. Yeah. Or you could do the Morricone thing from uh, Hateful Eight. There, that you could, you can't say no to Morricone, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll jam something in there awkwardly, as I usually usually do. Um, Isn't that your sexual technique? I was about to say that's what she said. Yeah. yeah uh, all right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me, and we'll be back next week with hopefully she killed in ecstasy and Virgin Among the Living Dead. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through.